Look, all I know Is I believe it's gonna change At the moment when the trumpets blow And all I see All I see, I believe, is gonna change Inside the walls of eternity So here we go Cause forever is in my soul This is Winning Slowly, taking the long view on technology, religion, ethics, and art. Do I say this is or welcome to? (laughs) I don't even know. This is the welcome to Winning Slowly. (laughs) Either way, I'm Chris (laughs) Kreitcho. And I'm Stephen Caradini. And today we're going to talk about the future of work, or the not future of work, if there won't be a future of work. So or the future work. of something like work? The or? future of something marginally like work that you do if you want to, but not if you don't want to. Or the future of poverty. We're going to talk about all of those things. We're just going to cover it all in 30 minutes. Totally. We're going to solve it all in 30 minutes. So the brief primer is there's an economics concept called post-work. This goes along with the sociological concept of the future of work, although the future of work is more concerned with sort of the short-term future, whereas post-work is concerned with the long-term future. So the future of work is, hey, stuff is changing. What are we going to do to prepare people for the future of X, whether it's driving or artistry or writing or anything. That's the future of work. How are we going to prepare people for what's going to happen to them, whether there's going to be more work for them or less work for them? Post-work is a concept that says at some point in the future, maybe near, maybe far, there will be enough things that computers are able to do that humans will no longer be necessary in the mass amounts that they are necessary now to run the world. In essence, you will not have enough jobs for people to do them. And this is, in some ways, sketched as a horrible thing that will ruin the world, and in other ways is sketched as sort of a verging on utopian sort of situation where people are free to live a life of leisure and civic activity and do the things they want to do without the burden of work on them. We'll give you some comments and articles on these concepts in the actual show notes so you can get more versed on all of them if you're interested. We're actually most interested in what is often not mentioned in these sorts of conversations, which is a Christian ethic of work and how that would relate to technology. One of the things that gets elided a lot in these conversations is what exactly we mean by work and whether we should think of work itself as good or bad or indifferent what relationship that has to capital and to capitalism, which are notably not the same thing, related but not identical, what the relationship is with labor, which is not exactly the same thing as work, and with the laboriousness of much of our labor, which is also not the Mm -hmm. same thing as either labor or work. In all of these things, any answers that we could come up with as we prognosticate about the future, maybe in five years It'll turn out that automation completely eliminates all truck drivers' jobs because AI gets so good. Or maybe, as an article we'll put in the show notes suggests, nothing of the sort will happen because we're 
hitting a limit on how good we can get with the specific kinds of AI we're doing. We don't know yet. Humorously, they found out that computers are bad at doing the things that humans are marginally better at doing than computers, <laughs> which is generalizing. Yes, and by marginally better, we mean a lot better. Humans are really good at generalizing. It's kind yeah. of our, our shtick, as it were. Yeah. <laughs> so we could speculate both ways, and we've talked about some of these things before. We talked about some of them in an episode about self-driving cars in the past, mm -hmm. and we've talked about some of the ethical constraints about specific decisions you make around labor if you're big capital, if you're Amazon and you can save some pennies by putting robots in your factories and laying off all of your human workers right away. Should you do that? We'll, we'll link to these episodes where we've talked about these things in the past. But in all of that, as interesting as some of the prognostication can be, as fun as it can be to play guessing games about the future, as worthwhile as it is to think about all of those things, if we want to respond well to the possibilities that confront us, we need some definitions in some sense. We need some idea of what it is we're talking about. So it's possible that a post-work future will be one of grinding poverty. It's possible that a post-work future will be one of artisanal craftsmanship for everyone everywhere. Except for people who can't do arts and crafts and <laughs> will find other things for you to do, I'm sure. <laughs> yes, artisanally crafted software or artisanally crafted lawns or... I mean, we have some pretty artisanally crafted <laughs> lawns here in Arizona, let me tell you. I admire them. In all of this, we still have this lingering question in the background. And so the way Stephen and I thought we would approach this is to say, okay, let's grant that post-work is going to be a thing. Let's grant that maybe something like UBI, Universal Basic Income, we'll have links to that idea, might be one possible solution to a world in which everything has been automated away that we do today. Now, the history of predictions about the future of work over the last few centuries should not make you confident that that future is likely. <laughs> they are uh, very, very low success rate. So far, pretty much zero. Like, we're going to all be out of work. Well, it was 1879, maybe not so much, son. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, there have been real and distinct losses to automation. Mm -hmm. So it's not a total bust on prognostication on future of work but and post-work. But there definitely has not been a mass robotification over the last five years that rapidly and uh, incredibly displaced people from their positions. More like a slow creeping one over the last 30 years. Right. And for instance, we have at the moment one of the lowest unemployment rates that we've had in a very, very long time. Obviously, unemployment rate is a flawed concept and there's a lot of things that do and don't go into that. But at a baseline level, we don't have 10 or 15 percent of the even measured population sitting around saying, I'd like a job and a robot took it. Right. And as Stephen said, unemployment is complicated. We acknowledge that. We acknowledge that there have been changes in kinds of jobs available. Yes. Yeah. All of those yeah. things. Yeah. Perhaps most important in all of this, though, is that too often elided question. What is work? What What is good about work? What is bad about work? If we could make it so that no one had to work for a living for the rest of their lives, should we? And to frame that, 
we're we're Christians, as we said at the outset of this season. And so our notion of what it is to be human and what it is to be a human who does some kind of work is framed by this overarching narrative of creation and fall and redemption and restoration. And perhaps the most important things to note in that frame is that the Christian understanding of work has always been tied to both creation and restoration. And so we think, tracing out the biblical storyline, tracing out our broad view of everything, that humans were made for something we might call work. That notion of work is not necessarily what you might think of when you think of work, because what you think of when you think of work might be going to your current drudgery day job. And this is part of that narrative, that notion of fall, of there being an accursedness to the way our lives go, of work itself being toilsome and laborsome, and thorns and thistles fighting you as you try to farm, and metaphorical thorns and thistles fighting you as you try to write software or get an academic paper out or whatever it is Mm -hmm. that you're doing. Those are the two things Stephen and I've been doing in the last couple of weeks. Yep. And there have been lots of thorns and thistles in mine, let me tell you. There have been thorns and thistles in mine too, but Chris Chris has the uh, thorny champion moniker for this. Now I want like a thorny episode. champion logo that I can you know that we can toss back and forth. I'm about to throw a Jesus joke right at this. But but then we get to the the end of that story, and work is to use some super biblical language. It's sanctified. It's made good again, and. Here we're talking about work that isn't the same thing, again, as we necessarily think of with all those thorns and thistles. There's this idea of humans being made as what my daughters hilariously have picked up from us and now often repeat as sub-creators, Tolkien's language, of people who are made to make things that – As our creator created, we're meant to create. And that kind of creativity at its best characterizes a few humans' work throughout history. You look at the great workers like Bach, who worked really, really, really hard week in and week out for decades as a church musician, just putting out those masses for his Lutheran church every week. And at the time, nobody really noticed. And then afterwards, everybody was all, oh man, Bach was amazing. (laughs) But he he worked as this sub-creator that was making things, making them well, doing well in the doing of them. And the thing is, I think for most of us, we get tiny tastes of that at best in our jobs. Most of us look at work as a bad thing, often an unmitigated bad thing, because there is so little of that in our jobs. It's all labor and toil and thorns and thistles. Well, and there's a distinction between the idea of work as creating and the actual jobs that are in front of us. (laughs) Yes, And so I have the privilege, the benefit, the luxury, the blessing of being able to write stuff as part of what I do, but only part of what I do. The other part of what I do is answer emails about organizational issues and (laughs) go to meetings. Wait, you're not saying that doesn't feel like creative fun? uh, You know, (laughs) on very rare occasions, (laughs) very rare. There are a lot of meetings that are 
how we say longer than they need to be. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about, says the mm. software engineer. Yeah, but there can be some people who love meetings and who run great meetings. I have actually been in great meetings before where I felt like everything was productive and we all left better in our organizational selves. And that is really and honestly and truly a skill. Like if you can run a good meeting, like more power to you, you're the best. You're the thorny champion right now. <laughs> thorny champion. That's going to be our takeaway from all of season six, <laughs> the thorny champion award. <laughs> oh man. So there is a distinction between this idea of work and this idea of a career, mm-hmm. and then this idea of, as Chris mentioned, labor. And so there's obviously a Marxian concept of labor, which is sort of this group of people that are all used as labor by people who are exploiting them. Mm-hmm. And that's not the the way that we're using it. Uh, we're more interested in labor as in laboriousness, so the things that people do the nuts and bolts of moving stuff around, whether those are files or boxes or patients or whatever. And then laboriousness being the difficulty with which that thing is done. And so the the distinctive elements of the Christian ethic here are that the laboriousness is real but can be mitigated. So it's not all unmitigated toil and strife. And the concept of what is valuable in doing the work is different than in this idea of career building, which career building is, you know, get your money so that you can live, as well as continuing on in the ability to do that. So you do one thing so that you can then have a job in a year or five years or whatever. So... That's what a career looks like, and I actually study careers, so I love careers, but we're actually not even really talking about careers. We're talking about what does it mean to work outside of the money? What does it mean outside of the continued pursuit and acquisition of money, which I have no qualms with because that's how I eat and pay my mortgage? But where is that tension, and where can we identify it as something distinctly Christian? Chris talked about the the whole narrative, the creation, fall, redemption, restoration, right? Mm-hmm. In order. You got it. Yep. And uh, what we see here is that when we talk about the future of work or post-work, we're really talking about what is the good life? What is the value of of work. Is work really just a means to an end? Or is there something intrinsic about that creation, about that doing of work that is valuable and that we will want to do or be able to do even after in this post-work future that we're positing, you don't have to do the work anymore. Right. And to some people, they say, like, I would do this even if they didn't pay me. Those are really great situations to be in. And those people still have thorns. We all do. But there are some people that are in those positions where they would just keep doing it even if they didn't get paid. I study artists. A lot of them say that. They would just keep doing this. And so that idea of this is what I desire to be doing, this is what makes me want to do things, is starting to push in the direction of what it means to work. Right. 
Of course, the simple reality is, and this is why people start thinking and talking about it, the good side of a post-work world in the way that they, not we, are using work, a post-labor world, a post-needing-a-career world, however you want to tease out what that version of work means, is that for the vast majority of people of your acquaintance and mine, most of their work is laborious. If, if you talk to some people, you'll find that they get that intrinsic, I would do this even if they didn't pay me. But I think if you go through most of your friends and neighbors and ask them that, they would not say, yeah, man, I would <laughs> love to just keep doing this really mindless, boring desk job. I would do it even if they didn't pay me. I would show up at my call center gig and take calls from angry customers even if they didn't pay me. No, nobody's yeah, saying no. that. <laughs> no, no. I, and I have plenty of friends, even some who listen to this podcast, who I'm thinking of you right now and I'm mourning with you the terrible job that you are diligently persevering in to feed your family. Right. And part of the Christian reflection on work is that sometimes you just buckle down and work in the face of it being laborious because it is worth doing that to honor God and love your family and love your neighbor and take care of those things. But it's not ultimately what we think is best. Best. And to pull on some language we introduced back at the beginning of the season in terms of the kinds of technologies we think are broadly good and that are broadly the kinds of things we want to embrace, things that are ameliorative of the fallen state of the world that right. heal to some small degree, recognizing that we're not going to get there all the way till our good Lord comes and does it all the way for us. Yep. But we're called to work at it, <laughs> working here in a different sense yet again. We're called to seek to make things better for those around us. And so this is where the questions around things like automation start to get interesting and complicated. Let's say that we could automate away every job in truck driving and every job in manufacturing. Is that an amelioration of the fall? Well, there may be ways in which the answer is yes, especially if we look at places where manufacturing is carried out in harsh conditions that lead to people getting sick or even dying, where it's abusive of the young or the helpless, the poor, those who don't have other good options just to keep feeding their families and staying alive. At the same time, just automating those jobs out of existence, if, if you're not providing some other way for those people to have food and shelter, might be actually relegating those people to, as I put it at the beginning of the episode, a life of grinding poverty. And so, you can't look at a technology or the deployment of a technology, automation, whether that's robotics in a factory, whether that's automated cars and truck driving, whatever it may be, without stopping and saying, what are the human impacts? And more than merely the question of work as means to making money, that's necessary, but are you going to make it more possible or less possible for most people, to be living their lives in a way that is expressive of that sub-creative, that people being made to make things image of God in us? Or are you going to put them in a spot where they're left in a malaise with nothing to do, with no ability to share their innate creativeness? And 
I'm of the mind that everybody has that. You'll hear people say, oh, I don't have a creative bone in my body. I think that's not really true. I think we've too narrowed what creativity means and people respond accordingly. It's not hard to conceive a world in which, as many a sci-fi novel has posited, people just sit around and play video games and not in a good way not not in a sense that this is good for them, but in a sense that they have nothing else to do. Yeah. And they must mindlessly fill up their time. And I think one reason that it's so important to think about the goodness of work is that in one way of getting around this post-work future is the universal basic income. Okay, we'll just give everybody money and then they can go about doing whatever they want to do and they can choose to work if they want and they can not choose to work if they don't want. And... While that is a tidy, in some ways, way to address the issue of ameliorating the career, right? So we'll take away the careerness of working by just giving you the results of that career, which is money. It doesn't address the the nature, like Chris was saying, of good work, of then producing work. So when you put things together and then want to sell them, you have to have some infrastructure for doing that. And as Chris can tell you, and as I can from the opposite end tell you, sometimes infrastructure is bad and it makes things very difficult. And sometimes infrastructure is good and that makes things very easy. But there are not a whole lot of people that spend their time saying, in a perfect world, you know what I would do? I would set up the back end of this website really, really effectively. That is what I would really love to do. Now, there may be some of you that are out there who want to do that. That's literally what my wife does for a career. So it may be that she would like to do that even if uh, she didn't get paid to do it. I don't necessarily think that's the case, but it's a possibility. So I'm not ruling out any of the types of work, but just in general, there are sorts of things that seem more likely that people would want to do and things that would seem less likely that people would want to do. Right. As a rule, I think we can say it's fair to say that probably there aren't that many people who would just love to go clean up other people's pets' waste. That that's does a not thing seem... that's out there, but it's just not on anyone's list of this brings me so much joy to do. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's just not it's there. A, crappy job it's a crap but <laughs> um <laughs> and so thinking about good work thinking about this idea that we all have an innate creativeness whether that's the ability to creatively uh, parent effectively or to creatively run a meeting or to creatively build a machine or write or create art or uh, build a house or these sorts of things. We imagine as Christians that even eschatologically, even in the afterlife, these sorts of buildings and creatings will exist. So the idea that machines would come in and remove all jobs and maybe a UBI would supplement that is sort of clashing against this idea of good work in general. Removing work entirely is not necessarily something that meshes with an idea of vocation, which is another topic that we haven't touched on exactly, but is another theological concept that relates to how you do your work and what work it is that you would do. And so the 
the tensions that are sort of difficult to resolve in what happens when the jobs disappear are are not immediately fixed by having a Christian ethic on this. There's no immediate, oh, if you're a Christian, then this is what you should think and the end you should be reaching towards <laughs> because of right. this Christian ethic, although there are some cases where that is the case. In this particular instance, it's more generating a sense of there is goodness in working. Not always, and in some jobs, maybe not even ever. Right. But the concept of work is not one that needs to be totally eliminated. It it cannot be in totally disappeared. Now, I don't, as Chris mentioned, think that humans would even do that if <laughs> it was possible. It's just not how we're wired in many different ways. And insofar as people would be tempted to, that is also indicative of our brokenness and our fallenness as people, because we're meant for something that is not merely sitting and watching really bad television shows all day. And most, I, th I think we all feel that. And that, to, to sort of bring things around into a close, we haven't landed on anything in particular in terms of thou shalt now go do a, this thing. Technologies are terrible <laughs> or technologies are great. No, technologies are a way that we mediate some of these issues. Right. And as we mentioned before, the ethics that you bring to the technology determine how you use them. And so for the issue of post-work, for the issue of the future of work, the stances that we bring to work determine what we're going to do with that technology, what we're going to do with robots or with automated cars. And these kinds of things are particularly important for decision makers. If you're, if you're in a company and you have a chance to automate some things away, you should think about this as part of it. It has to be an ingredient in the mix, not merely, as we emphasized a lot throughout season three in particular, not merely your bottom line. Because there's more going on here than that. At the same time, the inverse of it can be true. Automating away drudgery can free people to do better work and to do the kinds of work that are indeed good and delightful to them. But those sorts of automating away drudgery, automating away these types of jobs, require a human response. They require us to go in and find other ways of making work possible, right? whether that's retraining, whether that's thinking about the ways that industries that have automated away jobs are creating different jobs and allowing different types of people to be in those jobs and not just taking highly educated master's degree holders, um, whether it's thinking about the sorts of community needs that can be filled and allowing some of the money that goes from profitable automation to go back to some of those issues and allowing some of those issues to create jobs. So using the money in different ways. There's lots of inventive ways to get around this idea that a robot may or may not take away a job. Yeah. The fact that we don't hear about them very often is partially a lack of imagination and partially this stance towards work in general. Well, if your job is gone because of a robot, then like, surely you don't want another one. Like, that one will just be crappy too. And so where we're left is not so much with 
a concrete answer on what you should do, but rather a frame for thinking about these things. Because again, as we've come back to over and over this season, ethics is wisdom applied. It is not merely a set of rules that you can trivially apply. It's thinking rightly about the world and the way it was meant to be and the way that we people are meant to be. And so in each context, thinking, how can we ameliorate the fall? How can we make things better, not merely in an abstract numerical sense? That matters. Decreasing the number of people in abject poverty is is a good, but it's not totally. the it, it's it's not the only good, and it's not in and of itself a sufficient good to say job done. Rather, right. we need this frame for thinking about work as distinct from labor and laboriousness and toil. Work as creation, work as doing and being the kinds of things that humans are meant for. To have the right frame, then, to even be able to answer the questions about the applications of specific technologies as they affect specific jobs. And so our encouragement to you out there as you're listening is to bring that frame to it, to think about work. Give it another name if you want, if that one just has too many undertones for you that drive you up the wall. But work as something that is potentially good, that is, in our view, essential to what it means to be humans. And it saddens me a bit that the word has such strong connotations of laboriousness and toil. And some of that is simply because we do live in this broken world. Yeah, But some of it is also because we haven't had, as Stephen said in a slightly different way a minute ago, the imagination to think of the kinds of goodness that there can be to work when that work is not merely toil and drudgery. And ultimately, as Christians, we would say we want to live in hope, in the hope of a time when the toil and the drudgery will be finally gone, but the goodness of work that we're meant for will be finally fulfilled. That, that's a good thing to hope for. Indeed. If I could do the, the parts of my job that gave me joy every day— and not have to deal with all the other parts that drag me down and leave me in Hulk smash mode like I was a couple weeks ago, that would be really good. I look forward to that. I'm I'm living in hope of that. And that last bit there is a huge part of what helps us in the meanwhile as we deal with work that is often laborious. It's looking for that time when it won't be. And or changing jobs. <laughs> Steven's got, got a pitch he's trying to make to me here. <laughs> The song at the beginning of the episode was Forever by the Grey Havens from their upcoming album, She Waits. Thanks very much to the Grey Havens for letting us use it. Please don't use it without permission, and please do buy She Waits when it comes out. I backed it on Kickstarter, and the Kickstarter release came out this week, and I've been listening to it and loving it. We think you will, too. Thanks, as always. To Kurt Klassen, who sponsors the show. If you would like to sponsor the show, you can go to patreon.com slash winning slowly, or you can give a one-off at cash.me slash dollar sign winning slowly, and you can help us uh, run our Twist app and uh, all the other hosting things and yada, yada, yada. If you want to send us angry comments about how work is, in fact, the worst thing in the entire world, you can do that on Twitter 
the show's there at Winning Slowly. Steven's there at Scaradini. He's a very scary guy. What's up? And I'm there at Chris Kreicho. We also love it when people shoot us emails. You can send us a note at hello at winningslowly.org. As always, thanks for listening. I'm going to tweet out this picture from the Winning Slowly account so that people know that when you say you talk with your hands, even when you're podcasting. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. (laughs) Yep. Sitting and watching really bad television shows all day. Although really good television shows. (laughs) I think you're right. If we could make it so that people could do... Only good kinds of things. Should we? How? I mean, how yeah, we? well, duh. <laughs> What's up? Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, and we've played that joke like six episodes in a row now. <laughs> yeah, well, we have to stop asking dumb questions, and then the other one of us will stop giving the dumb answer. <laughs>